0: We start off in. Yeah, it's it's the wedding feast. I'm sad already, Matt. I'm sad. You say <laughs> a
1: name and I'm like. Oh, yeah. no.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's look on the bright side. That particular pronunciation dilemma is one that's about to go away quite quickly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nearly <If only> three <laughs> whole books now with have been struggling with what the hell to call this
0: character, and soon yeah. it's not going to matter. If only something unfortunate yeah. could happen to Quaithe as well. That'd be that'd be great. <laughs> Tyrion Lannister.
1: The bastard. The bastard.
0: Roose Bolton.
1: The bastard. The bastard. The bastard.
0: And most of all, Walder Frey.
1: The bastard. <laughs> the bastard!
0: Okay, look. Hello and welcome to part seven of Shark Liver coverage of A Storm of Swords by George R.R. Martin, the horrible, horrible man who... <laughs> the breaker of dreams. You son of a bitch. The murderer of good characters. And um, in case you haven't already guessed, this is the... This is the part of the book which we're discussing, which deals with what has become to be known as the Red Wedding. Um, this part for our podcast is going to be called The Reigns of Castamere, and, okay, I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Dave, just just give me your first initial reaction to this passage of the book.
1: What the shivering fuck? What <laughs> the... Right, this is supposed to be a seven-book series, Right. And the Mm. first several books have been predicated on the idea that I give a tuppany shit about a very small number of characters, and most of them are called Stark, right? (laughs) Two of them, not one, not one, mind you, in this passage, but two of them Mm. die. Who the fuck am I supposed to care about now? I'm looking around Westeros for a a, a similarly (laughs) sympathetic character, and I have to say, they're a little thin on the ground. Yeah, you're holding out for a hero. I, I am holding out for a hero, which just tells you that I'm a sucker and I will remain a sucker throughout the whole of our coverage of A Song of Ice and Fire,
0: because it should yeah. have been clear to me by now that there will be no heroes. Yeah. Okay. Um, just on the very off chance that anyone has is, is been daft enough to, to press play on this part of the podcast without reading the book um, up to this point, we're discussing... Um, I think we're going from... It's, it's quite difficult to, to sort of work out because... Sometimes this book is sold as two books and sometimes as one. If you've got the two book version, which is um, Storm of Swords, Part One, Steel and Snow, and Part Two, Blood and Gold, we're now into Part Two, Blood and Gold, and we're reading today from page 78, which is a chapter at Aya, which begins when they reach the top of the ridge. And we're reading as far as roughly, I think, page 140, so it's not a very big section. And uh, that begins, They Supped Alone, As They Did So Often, is a chapter about Tyrion. Um, this part of the book, um, almost more than any other in the uh, in the entire series of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, contains massive spoilers. So um, if you haven't already read it, I'd really advise you reading it first before listening to this. Uh, we've already given you a clue as to what's coming, but now we're going to start naming characters who die. So... Um, <clears throat> If you've seen the series um, all the way through or as far as the end of Series 3 of Game of Thrones, or you've read A Storm of Swords, then don't worry, we're not going to spoil anything beyond that. But uh, this, is just your, this is just your health warning right here. I, think, I feel I need to do that as a public service, Dave. I think that's extremely fair um,
1: and <laughs> put, puts you ahead of most major media outlets around the time that this, this episode, the episode that was based on this part of the book, was broadcast.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, was like, yeah, that's a good it point. was like suddenly you wake up one morning and you're a minefield full of spoilers. <laughs> and I, 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 maintained my virtue for this podcast. I did. So let's go.
0: Right. Okay. Let's try and um, try and hold back on our reaction to the big event that happens in this part first. Let's just let's just wind it back and go from where we are at the start of this part of the book, which is a chapter about Aya. Look, now, begins... Look, Matt. Look,
1: I'm sorry, but I, you can't go back. I'm sorry, you you, back.
0: You, you, you you can't go back. I just. want to go say, back to a say time. say it's all right. But it's <laughs> not all right. I just. I wanna, I'm, I'm sorry. Go back to a time where there, you know there, there was still hope in the world. So this, this is it, as Arya is is going up. This is going to really hurt, having knowing what's coming as well. But I. <laughs> so there's Ayer and the Hound, the probably the greatest comedy double acting Westeros, and and they're. Um, <laughs> oh man how have I never thought of that before that's incredible (laughs) you imagine them on stage (laughs) banter yeah and uh, also uh, an extra element of this the third character who we've not really met yet um, as part of this group is uh, the hound's horse called stranger Um, His trusty horse and I just love how this horse is like really really bad tempered and dangerous and bites and kicks at the first opportunity but he's really sort of Cowed and soft when the hound's speaking to it, and it's just they really are like just almost like another another extension of the hound, isn't it? This horse. Mm-hmm. So that they reach Harroway, uh, which is a a town which has been completely flooded, and there's a they want to cross the river, and there's this sort of raft-stroke boat which can can take you across, and the hound negotiates with these ferrymen to to get onto it. And then he, they're involved in this extremely dangerous crossing across the river. And it was only the second time when I read this that I've, I've just considered the fact that the hound's in full-plate armour. So, you know, as this boat's sort of slipping and sliding along the river and looking like it's going to overturn at any moment, and so massive trees are coming down the river, almost knocking it over and, and completely staving in the... Is that the right word? Completely sinking yeah. the ship. Yeah. Um, the hound's in full armor, so if he goes over, it's not like he can swim or have a, or even have any kind of chance in this current. Um, even if it was just a, a swimming pool, he'd be he wouldn't stand a chance. It's yeah. just very dangerous. Yeah, yeah,
1: I hadn't thought of that actually. That's a very good point. And um, and if I was him, I would I, the first thing I'd do when getting on a boat, I'd be like, uh, right, I'll be honest, lads, but I'm going to trust the force of my personality to intimidate you. I don't need to be in these pieces of metal around my legs <laughs> and arms and face and chest. Like, yeah, I would, the first thing would be like, listen, we'll negotiate the price later. I've just got a.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's got sh- it's got shades of uh, it's got shades of Blackwater, hasn't it? it, um, where I you had, of course it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had you had commanders on those ships in full armor, um, and obviously they uh, didn't stand a chance when the ships began to began to sink. Questionable um, naval strategy, that wasn't it. Once they get to the other side, just with the loss of one of the boatmen. Uh, the hound reneges on his promise to give them money. I mean, he he technically gives he gives them the IOU which the uh, which the Brotherhood without Banners gave him when they stole his gold. <laughs> and um, I mean, it's it, it's a bit harsh on the boatman to say the least, but yeah. it's quite clever tactically from the hound's point of view because he basically says to Aya, look, they won't be carrying anybody else across without payment first now, so it's going to be harder for the outlaws to follow us. Oh um, yeah, I suppose yeah. that makes sense.
1: Yeah, although the outlaws do have his gold.
0: Yes, this is true. But w- would they spend it on crossing a river? It's a bit well, of a gamble, I, isn't
1: it? I don't know. He's, they're, he's, they're not likely to look at it and go, nah, I reckon I can swim that. Fuck it, come on, let's go. <laughs> That's
0: a good point. <laughs> uh, the, I got the feeling the hound quite likes Aya in, in a different way to the way he liked Sansa. Um, he, he sees a bit of himself in her, I think. Really? Yeah. Tell me more. I, so.
1: I, I, I didn't see that at
0: all. Well, just because she's—I um, mean, the the chapter starts with Aya remembering that she's tried to drop a rock on the hound's head recently um, to try and kill him, um, and also she she's considered killing him in various different ways, and he's managed to stop her or catch her before she even starts to try and carry out these plans. And she's very wild and very streetwise, and I don't know—I just I just get the feeling that there's a, there's there's almost like a um, I don't know, a gruff uh, stepfatherly affection from the Hound towards her. I think he's quite, deep down he quite likes her. That's really interesting. I'm like, I. i I'm definitely going to keep an eye out
1: for that because I hadn't seen that at all. I suppose I'm just used to assuming that the Hound is kind of by turns like creepy or terrifying or mm. kind of weirdly childish in the presence of fire. I hadn't really yeah. thought of him as being this kind of avuncular
0: type, kind of like, you know, jolly Father Christmas type. No, I suppose the real um, the real case against this as well is uh, how this how this all ends in the uh, <laughs> the end of this passage. So we'll we'll save that but anyway. We will. Um, <laughs> um, I thought I also thought it was interesting that uh, they talk about people like. Um, Aya mentions people like Dunson and Poliver and Ralph, uh, Raff, the Sweetling, and the Tickler, These horrible guys who are part of her prayer of revenge, you know. And um, mm-hmm. she says how she was caught by them, and uh, and what happened to her. And the hound just just says that uh, the mountain never brings them kind of people to court, and mm. that you'd never have seen them before um, because the you know the, the mountain doesn't bring his monsters to court and and i just thought it was quite interesting that so sort of, you've got taiwim who rules and then has these people who do horrible things for him like the, like the mountain and um, there's a couple more. Amory Locks, another. And then mm. beneath them, you've got another layer of horrible, horrible people <laughs> who are too <laughs> odious to even be in the presence of the courts. But they still sort of derive their power from these people who are, you know, ostentatiously look quite gallant and honourable. And mm. uh, it's just sort of the murky underbelly of this society, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and yeah. Yeah, it's just this horrifying sort of weird. It's not democracy, but it's something similar to it. It's not like you derive power from a large group of people. It's you derive power from a small group of people who will do unspeakable things. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Horrible. yeah I tell you what I'm kind of waiting for is to see more of the mountain because he's been like we've we've had a couple of scenes and he he had an introductory scene way back in the first book where he was just like quite efficiently a wanker. Enough of a wanker in a single <laughs> scene we've seen him in that you still remember that. So many books later. But apart from that, he's been this kind of ghost, this sort of horrific riding around the place, kind of one-dimensionally doing unspeakable things. And given yeah. how interesting the Hound is as a character, I would be interested to see what the, what the Mountain's kind of, kind of process is and whether he tries to justify what he does or if he is just like a foaming-at-the-mouth psychopath. Mm. I kind of hope he's not, because because that would be less interesting I think George Martin can write a really interesting character like that
0: yeah well he, he doesn't tend to like those kind of characters does he George Martin he likes complicated characters mm. uh, but you do have I mean I'd say we've, we've got to know Joffrey pretty well and he is seems to be a black and white just bad psych, you know, just a psychopath a isn't he yeah. yeah there's no real sympathy there for him That I've never read any into it anyway
1: That's true, Um, actually,
0: yeah. But, I mean, yeah, there's still plenty of blank canvas for the mountain, isn't there? So we'll see. Yeah,
1: that's true.
0: Uh, We also find out a bit about the Hound's plan, which is to take Arya to the twins and ransom her back, basically do what Beric was planning to do. And also he wants to join Rob's army. And he says if rob has got any sense, he'll he'll have me because I'm a really good fighter and I'm very loyal. Um, Hmm. And... I mean, it's it's a bit of a pipe dream because he's, he's been a Lannister. Uh, he's been one of the key Lannister sort of strongmen, hasn't he? He's Lannister muscle, if you like. So I wouldn't have thought Rob would be interested in having someone like that switch sides. But I think it kind of shows just how, how lost the Hound is and how he's just looking for a place in the world now. And I think that offer is genuine. And if Rob would take him, um, yeah. he probably would be quite, a, quite a, a loyal member of the Guard then but it's yeah. hard to see how Rob would be able to come round to doing that mm-hmm. okay um, let's move on to the next chapter about John, very very short chapter this one uh, He he's sort of on his way back to Castle Black, he rides through this place called Mole's Town which is sort of half above and half below the ground because it's so cold up here that's what they kind of do <laughs> I love this funky name. <laughs> I,
1: I love this idea of of, of a, an entire community that buried itself just, just for like for central heating purposes um yeah. but this happens doesn't it like I was I was quite surprised I went to um was I was I was in Canada and um there were a load of communities these people who kind of broke the west that's what they did um in fact brilliantly they called the houses soddies because <laughs> they're covered in sod right in turf yeah. Um, but they just look like Teletubby houses. And I quite like the idea of importing kind of like like Canadian breaking the West Teletubby houses into Westeros. That's
0: really yeah. cool. It felt to me like a really gritty version of Hobbiton, really far <laughs> north. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's like the, the like the post-Watershed
1: TV series, <laughs> Hobbit, Hobbiton Stories or like <laughs> yeah. Hob-
0: Hobby-fucking-ton. That's the name of it, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a few fewer uh, gardeners and a few more whores. Uh, apart <laughs> from that, oh god,
1: oh Matt, must you make me in, in picture a, a <laughs> hobbit prostitute?
0: <laughs> Fuck you, man. That's a not hobbit, cool. Hobbit brothel. Oh, <laughs> uh, a hobbit pimp. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, they definitely still they definitely keep the name bag end for. Uh, for oh broth- <laughs> no need. <laughs> <laughs> no need
1: <laughs> You're right, a terrible human being.
0: Let's move on. Cat um, he gets to Castle Black and um it's I mean he expects it to be depleted in terms of manpower, but it's almost deserted. And it's because the wildlings have been sort of attacking various parts of the wall and raiding um but as soon as uh, you know, a small force of Nights Watchmen a- approach; they always run away, mm. and it's obviously just a load of diversions to to make Castle Black even weaker than it is. Yeah. Um. So, that's a worry, and uh, there's this tale say of, the least. Yeah. So, so that's a bit troubling. Yeah, and he, uh, John hears the tale of what happened at Craster's Keep as well. Um, apparently, t- twelve people made it back. Um, after the mutiny, twelve people who obviously weren't mutineers, yeah, and um, one of them was G- Gren and Dolores Ed were two of them, which is quite nice to see them make it back alive.
1: Yeah, that's good, isn't
0: it? I was, I to be honest with you, they were they were characters
1: I felt, um, I felt affection for, and so I assumed that George Martin was going to kill them off. But no, no, he's yeah. just
0: he's going to do that later, <laughs> and uh, the, the, John's really uh, quite quite upset with with gren though for how gren admits that he left sam behind and john says you know you're his brother and you you know you should have you should have got him out and um and it's interesting because gren really was an important sort of supporter of sam's wasn't he especially after john left but yeah it, it when it came to the sort of I think he did all he could, Gren. But he just couldn't. He says he, you know, Sam had sort of curled, he curled up into a ball like he used to do in the practice yard, and we couldn't shift him, yeah. and we had to get out. And yeah. you can see how you know you can almost feel how Gren's a little bit ashamed as well. Although you can't be too hard on him because it was a, you know,
1: yeah. it
0: was a terrible moment, and you're just trying to keep yourself alive, number at, at first, <clears throat> aren't you?
1: Yeah. And plus, it's not like Gren was like, kind of, come on, Sam, come on, you come in, aren't you? Good, wonderful, and then run away. Like he yeah. sort of stood over him, going, "For fuck's sake, man! Pull yourself together. You're going to get killed, and yeah. put himself further at risk." And I think this is this is the point where, I, like, I, I, my frustration with Sam overwhelms my kind of my affection for him because I yeah. do like him, but at that point, like, that's giving up. And despite all the experiences he's had, where he's 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 you know re- he's he's been very clear that he is more brave than he thinks he is you know when he has time to think about being brave he always assumes that he's not capable of it And i think that's just that's just really sad so i'm i'm squarely with gren here i understand what john's saying but gren like went out went out on several dodgy limbs for sam and sam just stayed there rocking backwards and forwards going my own fear is more important than your safety thanks very much anyway <laughs> yeah
0: uh, the the other thing that happens in this chapter is john has to have a, an operation on his uh uh his arrow wounds, and that is that is pretty grim again isn't it oh, um vicious. it feels like you know you typical medieval operation which is far yeah. far removed from what we're used to yeah yeah the 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 kind of medical science
1: where um the most frequently used phrase isn't scalpel or swab it's
0: more boiling oil more <laughs> yeah exactly oh, okay let's uh let's move to the penultimate caitlin chapter a catelyn chapter uh so well
1: that that's let let's look on the bright side that particular pronunciation dilemma is one that's about to go away (laughs) quite quickly isn't it yeah nearly three whole books now (laughs) we've been struggling with what the
0: hell to call this character and soon it's
1: not going to (laughs) matter
0: If only something unfortunate could happen to Quaithe as well, that'd be that'd be just great.
1: <laughs> You're going to start sending in fan mail. Dear George, realise this isn't a priority of yours, but if you could see your way clear to renaming slash horribly murdering these characters that you give these stupid names to, lots of love, Shark Liver Oil.
0: Yeah, at the very least, just get rid of this Quaithe character, for goodness <laughs> sake. If anyone hasn't you know. had- I'm sick of her. Uh, she's, only, she's only been on screen, on page for about three pages of the entire series, but oh, I can't pronounce her name. She comes out with just just bullshit all the time, and she's really like, oh, look, I'm I'm just gonna. It's, it's by the by, she's not even in this part of the book, so I'm not just, gonna. But take a moment,
1: take a moment. It's all right. Don't look. Just I mean, it's okay. Just just breathe. Yeah.
0: All right. So um, it's soon not going to be okay because Catelyn has arrived at the Twins with Rob and the whole army. Oh yeah, but and, what could
1: possibly go wrong?
0: Yeah, and she, she tells Rob um, that if Warder of Frey offers food and drink, take it as early as possible because that sort of begins a covenant of guest Right, which is a a really important part of... Uh, this society, which is once you offer someone food and drink under your roof, then you give them protection and they're safe. Yeah, that is how it is supposed to work. Um, now, as soon as the sort of the first phrase come out to meet Rob and his army, Rob's wolf Greywind um, immediately starts going into almost a fury. He's snarling and he's, he actually I think one of the phrase falls off the horse um, because of you know how. Yeah. How close Greywind comes to sort of attacking them, and Rob only just gets his wolf under control, and yeah. it's just—it's the start of these really ominous notes throughout these chap, these these next couple of chapters, isn't it? Yeah. Where yeah. you kind of reading? I, I was reading it, wanting it to be okay, and my optimism overcame my sort of disquiet for most of it, but every so often <laughs> these little these little bad notes creep in and you think oh dear yeah this
1: isn't gonna go well Mm. yeah Yeah. and um and and that's what the wolves are for of course isn't it they're not they're not here to give you diplomacy they're here to give you subtext and to like drag it out into the open um and and yeah greywind's having none of it like everybody else is there everybody else must be aware of the kind of shakiness of the ground. Um mm. and and kind of be a little bit on edge even if they're not you know expecting, uh expecting what happens later but mm. um but Grey Wind doesn't have that sort of complexity of thought he's just a wolf the size of a horse who knows knows what he hates yeah, and tries yeah. to rip its jugular out and he's that's exactly <laughs> where he's right he's like fucking phrase phrase I I think not <laughs> ror <Rarf."> yeah
0: <laughs> so what when uh, the army is granted passage into the castle, uh, Rob has to go through various humiliating uh, hoops to, to yeah. get Walder Frey on side, including um, apologising in person to all of Walder Frey's daughters, um, which is one of those sort of toe-curling moments, isn't it? And he's oh, sort of is. saying, I didn't mean to cause offence and all this. It's, and it's straight out
1: of middle school, isn't it, this? Yeah. It's like, kind of,
0: apologise, sorry,
1: sorry. Yeah. Apologise yeah. properly. I'm really sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, although it seems, uh, you know, once he's made that apology, uh, Walder brings out the the fray which Edmure is going to marry, who Edmure is going to marry, this girl called Rosalyn. And she's actually really pretty. And mm. Edmure can't believe his luck because he's seen some of the other daughters and he was dreading... <laughs> what was going to happen next. <laughs> <laughs> um, the funny thing is, Edmure's really happy because she's very pretty and petite. Mm. And uh, Catelyn is quite pleased that, you know, Frey's obviously, re- it's a bit of a sort of a olive branch from Frey, this. Yeah. But also she thinks she's, you know, that the girl's quite small and uh, with narrow hips and that gives, a, you know, Edmure a problem in how many kids she's going to be able to have, which is... Such an important part of life politically that yeah. um you know it, it it brings with it she I think Catelyn would rather one of the sort of uh, one of the other daughters who maybe had slightly wider <laughs> hips would would have been put forward because it's a bit safer um and it's just very it's very catlin that isn't it it is it's really weird as well like because that that is a thing which
1: has its kind of vestiges in our in our society today. You know, mm. like the I you know, like people talk about kind of childbearing hips and so on. But I like I can't imagine anybody genuinely giving a shit about it. You, do mm. you know what I mean? Like kind of but here, um here Catelyn is, is really, really set on oh god man, what if she's she's she looks physically incapable of bearing ninety
0: five children? I'm really nervous <laughs> about this. <laughs> Yeah, and she even she even visits uh, the maester, doesn't she? In the twins, uh, a bit later on, just to just to sort of check out a bit more about the girl yeah. and to see if she and you know he says everything's fine. Don't worry about it. But uh, I think they could have played that scene much more for comedy.
1: Like I really would have loved Catelyn to be up there and and going, Maester, Maester, lovely to see you. Oh yes, yes, so it's lovely to see you too. Um, I, I, I uh, not not quite sure how to ask this. Um i i a uh, 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 delicate but um uh, um uh, uh babies uh, no any good for babies it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> i just yeah. feel like there's kind of this real potential for a faulty towers kind of <laughs> i
0: kind of well, think the thing is, Kathleen's never awkward about this stuff, is she? Like, um, do you yeah, remember true, actually, a, co- yeah. a couple of chapters ago where she's having that chat with Jean, um, oh, yeah. Rob's, Rob's wife, and she basically sits her and says, "Look, you've got to get him a son soon as, so um, start working <laughs> on that." <laughs>
1: yeah, she all but gives her tips,
0: doesn't she? she... <laughs> yeah.
1: Look, if you if looked a little bit like this, maybe try this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: it's like the oh. um it's like the parents saying I'd like grandchildren turned up to eleven, isn't it really <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's actually that's very true again i would I would find it quite entertaining if Catelyn was less candid and and more sort of <laughs> circumspect, just kind of like you can make your own decisions just whenever you like, but just just remember I'm getting older, and women often don't survive very many yeah. birthdays in this place. <laughs> Gah!
0: Yeah, um, Catelyn actually, uh, if we were back in the Grand Hall for a minute, she she actually calls for bread and wine, and mm. Frey brings it out and, and Rob eats and drinks, and, and that puts Catelyn's mind at rest a bit then. Um, mm-hmm. the Ahead of the wedding, uh, Walder Frey, says this, this sentence, which um, in sort of light of future events is quite chilling, but the, at the time it seems quite innocuous and actually quite positive. He says... Um, the red will run, and we'll put some wrongs aright. Uh, oh describing Lord. what's going to happen. And uh, he might as <laughs> yes, well—he might of... as well be drumming his fingers together and going, <laughs> 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 "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what a it's cock!" Like, honestly, the like fray. In, yeah, it's like that bit in Dracula, isn't it? There's plenty to eat, <laughs> <laughs> drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Actually, that's exactly it, isn't it? <laughs> Oh um, dear! This whole thing, I have to say, I really, I was there was there was a bit of me that was really enjoying Walder Frey in this in this bit, because he was because there's just something like there's something almost admirable in in uh your in his ability to be as like as adept at taking offense as this. Like he's kind of he's he, like it, the closest kind of character touchstone to the way he acts here. He's kind of like a moody twelve year old. Like, basically everything he says, even though it's quite witty and quite twisty and, and not, not terribly easy to follow, everything he says can basically be boiled down to, what are you trying to say about me? What are you trying to say? I see what you're trying to say. I <laughs> oh, see <sure. laughs> that's Fucking... That's the that's Frey's entire character. It's just that, yeah. with an army, basically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, the, the, the Roos is loose. Roos has arrived at <laughs> <laughs> You've um, been saving that up, haven't you? <laughs> I think I've heard Roos someone else say Roos. it recently, and I thought it was great. <laughs> there's there's Roose loose about this hoose. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Roos Bolton's arrived at the Twins as well, and um, he, he brings with him a message from the North, which is that Ramsay Bolton sent a bit of skin um, which belonged to Theon. Um, over to Roos to say, Look, I've got a hold of this guy. Um, yeah. What do you want me to do? I'm having a bit of fun with him. What do you want me to do? And when Rob hears, he's quite pleased and, well, not pleased, but he grimly says, You know, I want him dead. And Roos, again, just, you just feel how tactical this guy is. He says, Look, don't, let's not kill him yet. Let's um, hold on to him. And when the, cause Ballon Greyjoy's dead now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's going to be a choosing. You know, there's going to be a new ruler in the Iron Islands, and whoever it is, it's not going to be Theon, and they're not going to want Theon to be alive anymore because he's a threat. So yeah. they'll pay us to kill him. So why don't we just wait till someone asks and then yeah. get the get the reward? Yeah, kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. there's also he says that you know, he, speaking of what his his son's done, uh, his his bastard son, and he's saying that you know some of the things that. It, you know, capturing Theon and the very, a couple of other things like, hopefully, will go some way to make an amends for for other things he's done in the past. And then he sort of he says that and then shrugs his shoulders and goes, "Or not, you know, or you can kill him." And and Catelyn just looks at him and just reminds us just just a reminder just how cold this guy is. He just doesn't give a fuck, does he? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and and this is again, this is this is a little bit George Martin going. Remember this guy? He's still a bad motherfucker. Don't be <laughs> yeah. fooled. He's still a bad yeah, motherfucker. I have to say, this thing with the um, with uh, with Theon's skin, mm. like first of all, obviously it's horrifying. Um, but I have to say, like I much preferred this, the way it's been done in the book so far to the way it's done to the, in the series to this point, because yeah. in this in the series they fucking milk it. Like, this, yeah. this, like it, it, it's given a spectacular amount of screen time. And I really have no earthly fucking clue why. And like, mm. I can't think of many other things. Certainly nothing that's not in the book. Um, you know, stuff that they've added. Which is given this amount of screen time to no discernible purpose. Yeah. And so, so this worked a lot better for me as a kind of like... Because the point is, Roose Bolton is a bad person and you can mm. achieve that without spending 95 theon chapters on and then he flayed his little finger.
0: Yeah, well I've got a couple of thoughts on why um they did do so much of that in the series. But yeah. um it relates to what happens a bit later <laughs> on and I don't I don't want to ruin it. So brilliant. Um, so this is I, I I
1: appreciate this um this further this further kind of shepherding from uh, Matt's spoiler <laughs> factory. <yeah. laughs> Move along nothing well, to
0: see here. <laughs> I mean it's it's stuff that uh, it's in in relation to things that have happened already happened in the series now if you're watching the series but um, right right okay. it's you know I, I think we I'll mention it when we get to it in the book all right um so yeah the other thing is uh roose Bolton's force has been depleted again um when the uh, the the mountain attacked the uh roose's rear guard as they were crossing the river Mm-hmm. and Roos was stuck on one side of it, and I think it was the Manderlys who were the rearguard on the other, and pretty mm-hmm. much the Manderly army was either captured or killed. Yeah. So they've lost a, the Starks have lost a bit more there. And um, so it turns out that the only people who've made it back, if you remember, the Glovers and the Tallhearts went off to Duskendale and yeah. got their asses kicked there. Um, also, I think Roos passes a bit of the book for that, because I think he actually sent them out to do that. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, he says here, you know, yeah, they were really hell-bent on revenge and there was nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, suggest, which suggests, I mean, for a guy who has such an eyeing grip over control, it seems a bit of a weak thing to say. But I suppose yeah. he, he's, he's saying, you know, they wanted a bit of revenge and I didn't see any reason to stop them. Um, yeah, but, yeah Anyway, the, the upshot is that th- those parts of the army disappeared. Uh, the Mandalis, who are the other part, have been captured or killed as they were crossing the river which has meant the only people who've made it back are the Boltons and the Stark's. and he says I wanted to keep the Carstarks close because I'm not sure of their loyalty well you know <laughs> a prize for
1: barefaced disingenuity there I think for yeah East Bolton yeah I'm, I just I would... can't be sure of their loyalty I'm sorry I, my <laughs> loyalty is unimpeachable theirs oh very dodgy characters those yeah. people oh no yeah
0: but it's just quite interesting to see that. So the upshot of it's all the clever <laughs> scheming of Roose Bolton. This isn't it. The only people who've made it back to the twins are the two houses who you think uh, have have the least. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, uh, you, you, you wouldn't have thought someone like the the Mandleys or the Glovers or the Tallhearts would have got on board with the Roose Bolton plan as it as it develops. Yeah. Um. Okay. shall so we move on? Anything yes. else you want to say about this part? Okay, no. no let's do it. So Aya is approaching the twins. Uh they they've got the hound's got a cunning disguise as a cook. He's got a little cart and uh and some pig's feet and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love
1: this. This is like fucking Gordon Ramsay cubed isn't it? <laughs> it's like imagine the hound in a kitchen. Cook it fucking properly or what? I'll cut your fucking nuts off. And- <laughs> And he's not being colourful, he really means it. There's a long <laughs> sword out on the side for the entire shift.
0: <laughs> it's like that um, in, the, in the Blackwater. Any man who doesn't slice vegetables closely enough, I'll rape his great <laughs> <laughs>
1: The thing is, there's a TV series in that. With accompanying recipe book for Christmas Make no mistake about it
0: (laughs) Seventh circle of hell's kitchen (laughs) 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 Carry on You see I've I've brought in the the seven gods of Westeros there as well A layered joke
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like all the best jokes Impeccably explained after the fact
0: (laughs) Yeah um, so it's interesting that there's a uh, one of the outriders, uh, one of the guards uh, of, from the twins, uh, comes across the hound and doesn't recognise him. Mm. And the hound says to Aya later, you know, the they don't knights don't even see common people. Keep your eyes down and say, sir, quite a lot, you know, and mm. knights will never see you, mm-hmm. uh, even though this guy should recognise the hound straight away. He's one of the most famous men in the kingdom, mm. but um, because he's dressed as a peasant. <laughs> no knights even look twice at them. Yeah, um, which doesn't make which makes sense. Uh, mm. but it's quite it's quite sweet here that Aya's got all these worries in her head. The very childish worries about arriving back at, and, and meeting Rob again. She's worried about whether um, Bruce Bolton knows that she killed one of his guards, and she's worried that will people still want her and recognise her because she's had a haircut again and she looks a bit you know a bit raggedy. Mm-hmm. And it's just—I uh, think it's just quite nice, reminding just reminds us of how ch- home, much of a child she is still. Yeah, and I—I I really thought this was
1: this was beautiful character stuff because you see her childish tendencies coming more and more back to the surface the closer she mm-hmm. gets to her family. Like it's—you mm-hmm. know—she's kind of she's been so fucked up for so long by what everything that's happened to her, and now she's got this thing where she can, you know, she's she's within touching distance <clears throat> of home, and she just almost kind of starts to relax out of this psycho child of the corn thing that she started doing when she was in Harrenhal. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's quite touching, but given the next chapter, it's also totally heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Cause she's so close, isn't she? We're, we're yeah. getting to the point now where they get access to the camp. So they're moving through the art, the sort of the, the tents now and all the army. So they're, they're pretty much next to the castle and, uh, Making their way through this massive feast that's going on um, on the way in. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next up is Catelyn, and it, we we start off it. Yeah, it's it's the wedding feast. I'm sad
1: already, Matt. I'm sad. You just say a <laughs> name, and I'm like, oh yeah. no.
0: Yeah. So I mean, even at the start of this feast, again, um, you're getting these sort of uncomfortable. I mean, the whole feast feels uncomfortable. The, the music's crap. Um Caitlin thinks the music's rubbish. I don't where is where's, he, where's he got these musicians from? I, um, I love
1: I love that, that that she feels it's it's rubbish for precisely the same reason as I don't really like nightclubs.
0: It's just like <laughs> it's too loud. Boom
1: boom boom. Can't hear a bloody thing. What are these songs? How am I supposed to
0: dance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and it's it's, it's, it's there are loads of people packed in together. It's really hot and cramped and uncomfortable. The food's really rubbish as well. Um, she can, she thinks that it's really poor food to set before a king, but again yeah. it's uh it's just another slight on rob yeah and um,
1: <clears throat> it doesn't sound so yeah. appealing does it what's the what's the list of ingredients that are on this thing like oh, i reme- I remember reading it and kind of looking for like looking for something to be excited by something <laughs> absolutely nothing. The wedding feast began with a thin leek soup. Which is the best kind of leek soup, isn't it, really? <laughs> Followed by a salad of green beans, onions and beets, river pike Hi. poached in almond milk, mounds of mashed turnips Ugh. that were cold before they reached the table. Mm, geez. And and to go and to go with your mounds of mashed cold mashed turnips. <laughs> Jellied calves brains. <laughs> What can we do to make a calf's brain less appealing to eat? Well, I, I, I don't know, chef. I mean, to be honest with you, it's a calf's brain. Yeah, but I mean, but we've got to do something, haven't we? We're supposed to be insulting these people, right? Tell you what, tell you what, jelly it, chef. You're a genius.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> jellied calf's brains.
1: Oh, God. oh, Lord, save me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah. So that's the kind of stuff they're having to eat. That's the first crime that Bolton, that uh, Frey commits. Um, <clears throat> Ruth Bolton is uh, doesn't drink wine. He drinks Hippocras, uh, which I think is—is is it a spiced wine? That
1: I my Kindle tells me that that is exactly what it is. Um, yeah. That was one of those borderline words where I think I wonder what that is, and I don't know whether my Kindle's going to know it. <laughs>
0: I yeah. Scroll
1: down to it, but actually, it's there. It just, um, it
0: just sounds like the kind of thing someone would drink in ancient Greece. It does,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, li- I, I like the idea of it being like a sort of being on the shandies, you know, just <laughs> like kind of moderating your drinking during this total piss-up. Like, Roos, yeah. you on the wine, are you? No, no, Hypocris for me. Thanks, thanks so much, Yeah. Though.
0: Well, it's interesting, because in the series, he doesn't drink at all, and there's a running theme through it. A couple of times you see, I think when he's sitting down with Jaime Lannister, and when he's at the Red Wedding, he doesn't drink. And I thought that was quite a good, quite an interesting character trait. It, he strikes me as the kind of character who wouldn't drink. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's so he's on the hypocris. Um Although it's a, although Catelyn's not having a good time and she thinks it's a bit of a crap crap do all round. Uh, the Great John's having a belting time. He is roaring <laughs> drunk already. Oh,
1: fucking hell. And nobody can <laughs> roar when drunk like the Great John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, which is a, which is pretty good. I mean, I think she. Catelyn thinks, you know, because she's still feeling a bit uncomfortable. She'd rather the great John be sober, but you can't really ask him to do that. Uh, I think she <laughs> says that's like asking him not to breathe. So um, I, I love that. I love the line. It was like it's
1: like asking him not to breathe for a couple of hours. Just <laughs> like, just the idea that he needs to be kind of constantly toasted in order to be happy. It's like you can't ask me not to drink for a couple of hours. But do you think I am? Yeah. Yeah. You think I am the small, John? Hey, great John over here! All right,
0: yeah. There's um, it's it's not all um just the the Starks being you know just reveling and and just attacking the phrase at the word completely though. Know, there are still four guards on, you know, four members of Rob's household guard on guard around him. So there's the small John, who's um, the great John's son, who's apparently the same size as him, but just because he's younger. Um, I imagine
1: living off that sort of nickname. like Just, just <laughs> yeah. beefing up over and over again, hours down the gym, eating too much food. Also, somebody would call you the greater John. No chance. Yeah. No chance.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a guy called Robin Flint, Patrick Mallister, and Daisy Mormons are all the ones who, who aren't on the drink tonight because they're looking mm. after Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense, and it was I quite liked that that it was uh, there's this you know professional guard around him as well, even when he's at a wedding. Mm. Uh, Catelyn's really happy that they've agreed that all the Freys and the Starks are going to have the sword belts uh, left up on hooks above the tables, so you can't you know just to, to, just to reduce the chance of an argument turning into a a bloody stabbing, which is we've seen happen before at weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, She's quite happy with that because I think that's that makes sense because from her point of view she's thinking well th- there's there's still this animosity between the houses and it just stops those daft drunken fights getting out of hand doesn't it yeah um, but obviously it creates a problem later on uh,
1: well also I mean I think there there is something to be said for the idea that. If you've got, it's like it's kind of like gun control, isn't it? It's like sort of, yes, I suppose the answer is having a place to check your guns when you walk into the library. But perhaps the broader problem may be going unaddressed.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs>
1: that we live in a place where you could, you know, at a feast, find yourself in a position where you're not in control of your own sword arm. Mm. Probably not a good idea to... Anyway, but so, but of course, this is why I wouldn't last 20 minutes in Westeros, because I'd be bringing the sort of kind of witheringly sarcastic social commentary. <laughs> <laughs> be like, who the fuck are you? Fuck off. Slash. And that'd be the end of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you'd be campaigning for Tiffa Sword regulation.
1: I would, um, you know what, unabashedly as well. Unabashedly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and not just sort of the the sword equivalent of clip size. You know, you wouldn't be saying you know only a, a no, no great swords. There's no, no need for them, apart unless 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 you're out there in war. There's no need for the great sword. So uh, <laughs> maximum size sword, please.
1: <laughs> no, I'm having I'm having none of that. I'm um, I'm all about yeah. You, know, you know, swords don't kill people. People kill people, but the sword fucking helps. That's my argument.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so are you are you more along the lines of the the NA medieval NRA saying uh, <laughs> the only thing that stops a bad guy with a sword is a good guy with a sword?
1: Yeah, well, I, and I think <laughs> I think the whole series of A Song of Ice and Fire is a superb rejoinder to that argument because <laughs> what we have here is a world
0: full of bad guys with swords and good guys with swords, and it's this is true. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing about the the feast is that Grey Wind has been left away uh, out. So Rob's wolf is is out in the cold, mm. basically because um of what happened outside the castle originally and Walder Frey said, you know, I don't want him inside the hall, uh, threatening my threatening my guests. Yeah. And Rob's had to sort of he didn't he he didn't want to agree to this and he's kind of had to because he's yeah. a bit in a corner, isn't he? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I have to say, that does sound reasonable because it's like, it's not just, it, you know, somebody comes to tea at your house and brings a dog and you're like, hey, great, there's a dog. And they're like, can the dog sit on the table? And you're like, well,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> so, the, way, the way you ask that, can the dog sit on the table? <laughs> I'm assuming that the dog, of course, will be allowed to set the table. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah,
1: and then the thing is that I'm very English, so at the end I'd probably go, Oh, yeah, 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 no, no worries, that's, that's, that's fine, that's completely all right. No,
0: that's
1: a totally acceptable and normal way to behave. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, so I kind of, I mean, at this time of all times, I kind of sympathise with Walder Frey, even though obviously knowing the, knowing the wolf... I'm like kind of nah, he's alright, just let him in. He only eats wrongins. You got a problem mm. with that, have you, Walter? Any reason <laughs> that you should feel threatened by a dog that only attacks people that are fundamentally evil? Mm? <laughs> have you? No?
0: Anything you'd like to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh there's a, a fray sitting next to Catelyn called Sir Ryman, mm. who's who's already quite drunk and acting pretty suspiciously. He's quite short with everybody. He seems nervous. Um, when Catelyn asks about Oliver um, Frey, who was Rob's squire um, before the Freys left them, and was very loyal to Rob and was a bit of a sort of a hero worshiper, it turns out Oliver isn't around, and neither True. are a couple of the other nicer Freys, and yeah. that again makes Catelyn just think it's the kind of it's actually the kind of thing that she ignores, but when things start to go. Wrong. It's one of the key moments where she puts it all together, doesn't she? And thinks yeah, all these yeah. all these loyal frays are, are away, or yeah. happen to be away for various reasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um yeah. And it's it's this this bit of the chapter is just one massive bag full of foreboding, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you've got music disorienting her. You've got most of the good fighters being hammered. You've got this guy sitting next to her. It's <laughs> basically it's it's actually it's that Dracula piece again, isn't it? I don't drink. Mm wine it's like <laughs> i i'm not here for fun why it's a wedding oh there i have good reasons it's just so fucking shifty
0: <laughs> yeah um so the the events move on where walter frey gets up and, and says it's time for the bedding which is a quite a uh i don't know a quite a savage and an uncivilized part of uh west ross and that's saying something isn't it <laughs> um it's sort of, it's very sort of old school, um, middle ages. Uh, basically, you have, sort of have your first night in bed together with your wife in front of everybody. Um, and the, you, uh, do you mean they actually shag in front of everybody? I thought they just got stripped and thrown into the bedchamber. I think, yeah, I think they probably, I think that's probably it. But as it's as sort of once you're thrown into the bedchamber, chamber, everyone's outside the door banging and shouting and actually, making jests and stuff. As do well.
1: you know what that happens in? Um in very traditional, um, like Hasidic Jewish communities, I think they still do mm. this. Like the idea oh, right. was, yeah, the idea was that like everybody waits outside, outside the bedchamber. chamber, um, because it's such a, a hugely significant, most significant moment in either of your lives. Yeah, and so everybody's there outside, kind of waiting for it to happen. Um, <laughs> so you know, each to their own and everything. But um, obviously, I suspect, I suspect, given the kind of sober nature of that community, it's probably not as fucking awful as it is in this book i imagine yeah. it's done with a good deal more respect but this is this is unbelievable like like they're dragged off and stripped and yeah. like, first first of all if at the end of if at the end of a wedding like these somebody else is undressing the bride that's not a good fucking <laughs> wedding is it
0: <laughs> that sounds like a wedding in coronation street doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> it is isn't
1: it it's pure east enders <laughs> but like, but like, on mass, and i I mean mm. I, there was something uh, like horribly kind of comic in um uh in Catelyn remembering her wedding night, and how mm. like everybody gathered around was undressing her and then sort of apologizing and then making another bawdy joke and then undressing yeah. her this really weird collision of like oh bawdiness and extreme chivalry. And yeah. like just really showing chivalry for the bullshit that I think it often is. Um, yeah, uh, but but then but the thing that blew me away was that in remembering that, you know, she tells this thing about this guy who's absolutely hammered, making absurdly off-color jokes and taking her clothes off and apologising all the time, and yeah. then and then. Clearly she really liked him because she goes straight into this thing about oh he died, he went south with Ned and he never came back and she's really sad. And I'm not yeah, certain yeah. that would be my primary way of thinking about somebody who had done that. I'd be like as a, fucking uh, yeah. good. I'm glad. I suppose
0: it it's quite a nice illustration of just how normal that is in this world. It's I suppose, not like yeah, some yeah. kind of slight that he's done, it's just it's just what happens. There. I thought it, I thought that part of the memory as well was interesting that she remembers that Jory Castle. You remember Jory Castle, who was um yeah. the captain of the guard for Ned? and he sort of went down in this blaze of glory in that fight in the street in King's Landing. Um, Mm -hmm. He was so excited that he tore a gown as he was undressing her. And I thought that... My first thought was, God, that's a bit weird. That's a bit out of character. And then I thought, if you wind this back sort of 15 years... He's sort of a, a teenager, Jory Castle. So he's sort of, this is his first sort of experience of sort of sexual stuff going on. So it's, it does kind of make sense, doesn't it? That he's sort of, is there's is this stoic, reliable captain of the guard who he came to meet in Game of Thrones book one. Yeah. But he was like 15 years younger and it was just this gangly kid who was dead <laughs> excited because some girls, <laughs> a woman's getting naked. I'm
1: going to take your clothes off. I'm going to take your clothes off. I'm going to take your clothes off. <laughs> Rip. Yeah.
0: I just love that, because those little touches are really, like, realistic character um, pictures, aren't they? Cause yeah. Because it kind of make, it just makes perfect sense, that. In the middle, um,
1: in the middle of what I have to say is, like, extremely fucked up, kind of outlandish <laughs> yeah. plot moments. Yeah. yeah like the people yeah. are still very realistic. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Catelyn was uncomfortable, but still looks back with some kind of fondness on on what happened to her at her wedding. Uh, Rosalind is crying as she's carried off, so obviously she's terrified. Mm. Um, and we, you can, we can, I suppose you could speculate later on whether she's in on what happens next. Mm. And well, Catelyn definitely
1: of, thinks so, doesn't she? Because she's like she she like the yeah. the crescendo of her kind of memory of all of these things that should have tipped her off that something bad was going wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, is is Roslyn was crying? Rosalind was crying.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so let, let's get to the point where it actually where things turn them. So everybody's sort of been having a good time and dancing and all this. Blah blah blah. The the larger louder section of the of the group now all go off to the bedroom. Um, mm. So the great the great John's got um, Roslyn on his uh, over his shoulder and a lot of the more drunker members of the group are going off. Rob doesn't, and Catelyn actually thinks that might be seen, as a, again, as a some kind of insult from Frey's point of view, because Rob should be part of the bedding as well. Yeah. But um, he's not gone anyway. Yeah. And and then it looks like the party's about to sort of start to wind down. Daisy Mormont, one of Rob's guards, goes over to one of the Freys and asks for, you know, another dance, mm. and he... There's this really angry rejection and like, and it's really it's really odd. And Catelyn looks over and thinks, I "Wonder what all that was about." And yeah. again, she suddenly feels frightened. Yeah. Um, and as she goes over to challenge this guy, <clears throat> she touches his arm and she feels iron rings beneath his sleeve. So it's it's obvious he's wearing mail, and yeah. that's when she puts it together and realizes that there's there's an ambush on the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's uh, bad news, mate. So she she and she actually slaps him, doesn't she? Yeah, I, like <laughs> um.
1: and what what an incredible image of the sort of futility because now she knows mm. what's about to happen, and mm. the only thing as a woman in this world that she can do is slap him, mm. and and it's like in one way it's just so inadequate as a response to this kind of betrayal, but on the other hand, it's what else are you going to do? You know?
0: Mm. Yeah. And so, uh, Rob sort of makes his way over to, to intervene, and it's at that moment where this, these musicians who've been crap all the way through the night it turns out they're actually um, soldiers, and they start raining arrows down, and, and a couple of them hit Rob. So you, this is this is the oh fuck moment, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, you, you know, one of the one of the big sort of pictures and uh, moments that i always sticks with me from the this book is this image of the small john who's one of his guards like uh pulling this table off its trestles and throwing it down on top of rob mm-hmm. um to protect him as yeah. it all starts to kick off and yeah. I, I really think that's important just because it it's 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 as the there is a fight i i, I, thought, I thought in the um in the series just everybody gets killed yeah. and at least i think in the book here the start the starks Put some kind of fight up. I think Daisy Mormon bludgeons some guy with a flagon of ale, and, a veil and um, <laughs> yeah, I think actually the small John knocks someone out with a leg of mutton, and then as he's reaching for his sword belt, he gets hit with a crossbow. Yeah. But um, but yeah, what did you think of how this was staged?
1: Well, yeah, I, I agree with you because in the TV series, it's played for horror, isn't it? It's played for mm. like you know, like it's just creepy and creepy and creepy. And creepier, and they just keep ratcheting the tension until everybody's dead. Mm. Um, whereas, um, uh, whereas in this, like, it's kind of you're right. It goes to a it goes to a kind of a battle scene. Um, mm. I love I love the idea of fighting somebody with a leg of a mutton. What a way to go! That's I mean, that's <laughs> how you've got to go, isn't it? Really, <laughs> particularly if you're that character. But um, but no, I I thought it was. I thought it was really powerfully written. If only because I saw the the episode before I watched this before I read this, mm. so I knew what was coming, and I was still shocked mm. I wasn't like like it wasn't even it wasn't this kind of thing where i was I was thinking, "Oh yeah, that happened, I still mm. experienced the kind of oh God of it, and I think that's mm. a real testament to to being really kind of pulled into it um by the thing i also i have to say. The song stuff had a much greater impact on me this time than it did in the other mm. episode, because I'd heard yeah. The Reigns of Castamere um, yeah. by the time I read this. So the whole idea of that song is just creepy as fuck, whereas that the, the song wasn't established in the TV series at all. Like, they yeah. did it, but you did, you weren't like... Because otherwise it was like the first three notes, and you're like, oh, no. Mm. Um, It wasn't like that in the TV series, whereas here... It's like oh, very bad, very very bad, very 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 bad. But there's still a bit of you that wants them to get out of it, and you're thinking maybe they went off-piste in the TV series. Maybe they, <laughs> uh, maybe may, maybe they just you know departed from the canon. Maybe Rob's gonna be all right.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, and I think yeah, just just sort of sticking those little uh, snatches of the song. Um into the middle of all oh, there's all this bloody yeah. carnage going on, and it was so often you just hear more of the songs it's continuing to play uh-huh. and um <clears throat> yeah, I thought that was really really cleverly done and mm-hmm. um and really it, it was similar to the way that he wrote the the fist of the First men battle, where you keep getting bits of of Sam's uh, sort of dispatches from the front line. And he says, "You know, we have driven them back." And then you get a bit of action, and then you get another line of what Sam's written, and a bit more action. And right. here it's the same thing, isn't it? You got a line of of uh, of the song, and then action. Line of the song, it's, and it's basically various yeah. members of Rob's guard being killed in horrible ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Daisy Mormon gets killed. Uh, the small John gets his head taken off by what looks to be Northman so, um, the yeah. small Freys enter from one side and kill Daisy. And then a lot of Northmen enter from the other side. And Catelyn has a moment to think someone's coming to rescue us until one of them kills the small John and she realizes that someone's yeah. turned as well. Yeah. Um, and it all ends with Rob rising from underneath this table, um, feathered with arrows. And there's just this the, the the music stops and there's just this single pounding drum, and yeah. and there's the wolf there's you can hear Grey Wind howling somewhere off in the castle, um, and this is the so, and that again you you can see it all can't you it's so visceral yeah, um, yeah. so Catelyn, in a sort of last desperate attempt to to save Rob she grabs Jingle Bell who's this fool who's one of is um yeah one of uh, Frey's sons. Mm. And sort of holds a knife to his throat. And she, there's this really, uh, really heartbreaking bit where she's saying to Rob, you know, walk out, you know, you've got to leave, go. And he sort of won't do it. Yeah. And he doesn't get the chance to really either because a guy who, I mean, I think we can tell who it is. There's only a description of him, um, but it's a guy with um, pink flecked. Uh, he's a Northman with, a, yeah. with basically come on it's roose bolton <laughs> right. um, yeah he goes over to rob and says jamie lannister sends his regards and stabs him through the heart and i works. knew it i knew it <laughs> send tywin
1: lannister my regards son yeah. of a bitch
0: yeah i think jamie did does say doesn't he as he's leaving yeah. send send rob my regards send
1: rob my regards
0: um, i don't I know if that's what he you
1: two-faced bastard
0: <laughs> yeah um, and it's this moment that Catelyn goes insane and yeah. she starts to rake her own face with her fingernails. Did you get that? Yeah. Because I missed it the first time. But I mean it's quite so it's, it's like these ten knives going down her down her yeah. face. Um and the somebody grabs her by the by the hair and um it's really it's really sweet that her last thought is um don't cut my hair, Ned loves my hair and then yeah. The knife knife goes across her throat, and that's that's her done as well. And then it's like, then it's like, cut to black. Fucking hell! He, yeah,
1: uh, he knows how to finish a chapter, George Martin.
0: Doesn't yeah, his it, bite was red and cold. That's how he ends it.
1: I read, you know, that where, that it, George Martin plotted this entire novel and wrote every every last bit of it, and didn't want to write this because it was too sad, and came mm. back and wrote it last. Yeah, that's um, interesting, and I believe it. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's just propaganda put about to uh, dispel the idea that George Martin is just a soulless, cold son of a bitch who kills characters <laughs> that you care about just for no good fucking reason. Uh, maybe it's just propaganda, but I think, um, like, you definitely feel it here, don't you? Like, this is just, this is so shocking. Yeah, um, and you have, and and like. It's the final nail in the coffin, really, of the idea that this this series was going to be about the politics between the Starks and the Lannisters. Um, but that does make me think, what is this going to turn out to be about? Because we've never been given anything to care about as much as we've cared about Starks versus Lannisters, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's like, true. Like,
1: we just... There's, there's, You know, for all the plot with Daenerys... Uh, for all the stuff north of the wall for all of Jon's stuff, for all of the various extremely long walks taken by Arya Stark um, <laughs> and the King's Landing stuff, even Tyrion, none of it are you as invested in as this idea of this character led by, like, the one unambiguously good, it would seem character in Westeros mm. who was um, who was Ned Stark, right? Um,
0: mm.
1: And maybe that's a bit much because he did, after all, father a bastard child, but... Um, but like, but do you know what I mean? Like, you you are yeah. brought in with this character, and you follow his descendants, and then and they're gone. So I'm like, I really hope George Martin knows what he's doing here, because otherwise, otherwise, what is it about? Like, what what am I sticking around for another four books for?
0: Yeah, there is an element of who who do I care about now, isn't there? Because yeah. you do really, you do really associate yourself more with the Starks than anyone else. Absolutely. And I think it's also the <laughs> Rob pretty much represents the only way that you can see justice happening on anything other than sort of the length of time it took for Pangea to break up you know it's just it it just seems like that this is the only way that you're going to see some kind of justice happen and you know because Daenerys is so far away um you got you know you've got the night's watch you don't take any part so that's john out of the question yeah. you've got arya and sansa who are just you know lurching from one captivity to another captivity yeah. and you've got bran who god knows what that's going where that's going to go it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere quickly mm. so so yeah when who's going <laughs> yeah. where's the justice coming from as what i want to know because yeah i think that that's the that's the worst thing with this as well. It's not like it's a, a battle that goes wrong or something which would be bad enough. It's just the unfairness of it all as well. Yeah, yeah. It's and and the fact that... Yeah, it's a betrayal of one of the key pillars of, of what makes the world work as well, this whole guest right thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it's interesting, it's interesting to see how that's going to affect as, as the phrase, and to a lesser extent, everybody else involved here as being the, the people who broke that kind of sacred... Uh, sacred agreements. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and mm. I, and but there's a bit of me which is starting to feel, and I think this is the this is the place where it's dangerous for George Martin. There's a bit of me that's starting to feel like the only point he wants to make is that life's a bitch and people are completely untrustworthy in this world. And mm. you know, as kind of entertainingly bleak as that might be, it means you've got no tension whatsoever because people are going to do stuff, people are going to trust people, people are going to get betrayed by those people. All of this is preordained and mm. and if it carries on like this you know you do sort of feel like you know what do I have like you said yeah exactly what do I have to care about um, mm. here because you know on the other hand he's no slouch presumably he's got a plan I really fucking hope so because <laughs> I would be quite frustrated to have read this much and then to have it kind of disintegrate into this sort of gothic cackling about how nobody can be trusted yeah. that's not a plot at all, you, you
0: know. Yeah. Someone else we care about. Um, next chapter. Uh, you, I, as soon as I read the heading I of it, I mean, your emotions are in a swirl after that anyway, mm. after what you've just read. And then you turn the page and you read the, the word Arya. And mm. it's just like, oh, fuck, she's there as well. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah. So
0: it starts, and we've sort of slipped back in. This very rarely happens in this in this series, but we've slipped back in time a bit because he almost always does it in a single linear real time, doesn't he? But yeah. Um, yeah. we rewind to just before um, this has all happened, yeah. and the, the party's still going on, and the hound's on his way towards the towards the castle with with Arya, and. And we know what's what's coming now, and it's just sort of I just couldn't see a, you know how's she going to get out, how are they going to get out yeah um and in is they continuing to make their way towards the castle, you're thinking do don't, don't go in there, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah, it's
1: another yelling at the book, isn't it don't yeah. go in there, he's behind
0: the door. <laughs> But I mean at first the Hound puts in a man of the match winning performance to save Aya. <laughs> because um I mean part one, these he puts together what's happened straight away yeah. as um as things start to go wrong. He thinks very quickly and get, and tells her to Aya to get down and hide um as these as these knights ride out from the castle, At mm. uh, these fray fray uh, knights. Three of them make their way over anyway, so <clears throat> the hound jumps upon on stranger and uh, charges them, and is just—it's just this awesome three-way, four-way sword fight where uh, on horseback, because the hound's sort of holding off three of them um, and spinning, and I, I do not he's just you just get the—we've f- not seen for a while uh, a reminder of just how formidable the hound is as a warrior. And yeah, I, it, yeah. I really did get a sense of, you know, this is the guy who rode out onto boats in the Battle of the Blackwater. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. uh Yeah. But there's one there's one knight who breaks away and, and starts chasing Aya um, and he he sort of chases her round and round this wagon. She's she's just basically trying to buy time, isn't she? Yeah. And he's saying this knight's saying you can't run forever and i think it's the fact that he's got time to taunt her that makes it all the more terrifying this isn't it
1: yeah no yeah yeah, yeah you really kind of put in this chapter after the chapter before was a real masterstroke because you don't you just feel this kind of despair almost There's like mm. something really almost magnificently bleak about about how this whole exchange feels watching arya do that you know
0: yeah um there's the hound rides back and and kills the guy and saves her um and once that's done, as they're deciding what to do next the 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 loud music that they've been hearing all the time has now ended, and there's just a single pounding drum, which is I thought was fantastic because it it just links it, so you know that this is the moment where as this is happening up in up in the the great hall now Rob's dying. Yeah. and and it says I oh, he's deciding what to do I just thought that was really clever how he he did that change yeah. in two parts yeah. so, so it just it just brings it all really really tightly together yeah, um, yeah. it's a really nice device
1: yeah
0: uh, the hound says you know we've got to get out of here and then he basically says stay or go I'm not really bothered either way but if you stay here you're gonna die and yeah. <laughs> much to his surprise I oh, decided to stay and she just she just makes a run for the castle and um and then she hears the hound coming after her yeah. and the last we get is uh the hound's axe in the back of her head and um i've just put oh fucking really there goes another character and after all that after all that i said about the hound as well thinking he might quite, quite like it um that's that, and and it's just sort of it's, like, it's another it's another hit, isn't it? It's kicking you when you're down.
1: Absolutely, like I'm, uh, this, I was not expecting this. Yeah. I like because in the te- again, I saw the episode, and in that one, Arya survives, and here, yeah. his axe took her in the back of the head. Now, this is clearly clutching at straws, but we have had moments like this before where things seem to end with a character dying and then it turns out something else happened to them mm. like when yeah. Jamie's hand got cut off yeah that's true you know we ended that chapter when we were like well that's Jamie done then Pfft. couldn't happen to a nicer psycho and <laughs> um, and this to, I, I don't know like what do you think am I being too hopeful uh, I, do you know what I'm it, not even going to ask that question because that's just Matt's big bag full of spoilers again isn't it <laughs>
0: Well, I'd say it's it's hard to read acts in the back of the head um, and and see a way of surviving. Yeah. But then, I suppose, I suppose you're right, there are examples where he leaves it kind of open. Um, I think, look, um, I won't say either way whether that's right. But if right. it is, I think there are only so many times you can get away with doing something like that. Well, that's very um, true. before you stop really believing what's happening in the in the in the book. Yeah. And whenever whenever there's a dramatic death. Mm -hmm. you're not sure whether to really see it as a dramatic death because you don't know if they're coming back and not. I've had that kind of issue with Renly because we've had these tales of him knocking about. Oh, yeah. Um, Renly, the ghost of Renly. Yeah, and more so people like uh, Beric coming back as well. That grated a bit with me as well because I want to be... When I'm reading a story like this, I want to have that feeling that I have when you read the Red Wedding bit where you know that someone's dead, and that's it, um mm-hmm. because then you can really feel the full force of the drama and if you're if you're thinking, oh well, we've seen in the past that um he can sometimes bring people back yeah. uh, it just it ruins a bit of the emotion of it because you're not sure where, which way to feel yet so <laughs> you, i don't you know it could be could be not, but if it is um i think there's a there's a danger of doing that kind of thing too much mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. the the interesting thing here is that this is such a blow, and we've already touched on it and we've talked about it quite a lot. But I've heard from a number of different people, and people have said online as well, that this is the point where people either um, put the book down for a bit and came back to it a while later just because they were so <laughs> depressed with it. Yeah. Or, or, and I know people who've put the book down at this point and just stopped and just give it up because they Fucking just. Hell. Because you well, thought, well, that's it. Well, and, and I that's think the that's, danger, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous, and th- I can't fault anybody for doing that either. Because mm. what this, what this is about, is if you've been bought into this because of the Starks, at this point you're like, well, it's over then, isn't it? There's mm. no more story to tell, particularly since you know the boys are scattered and everybody thinks they're dead. Arya, it seems, is dead. Sansa's with Tyrion down in the south, and you, know, you just you don't care like i think you have to to a certain extent you have to you have to be in a place where you're willing to keep reading because you kind of have to somehow or you're, you you because you think okay maybe it's going to be about something else equally good and to be mm. honest with you i'm not really in that place it, to be perfectly honest If we weren't doing a podcast about this at this point, I'd probably be one of those people who was just like, oh, well, fuck you as well then. And I'd go and read something else. Because you can't do this indefinitely. You can't set up plots in book one that don't come off until book seven and call it good writing. Like there's a bit Mm. of me that feels like as masterful as that may be, don't expect me to be impressed or to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah yeah so where I'm not saying that because you know doing a podcast about it means that I don't I like it forces me not to be as selfish and lazy as I otherwise would be um, which is which is a very good thing it's there is still like my emotional response to this would have been exactly that I would have been like well fuck you as well then (laughs) there's more than enough books in the world that I don't have to read this
0: yeah I think in terms of the danger of bringing it to breaking point. I think it's this chapter more than the chapter before that does it because yeah. you've had the shock and disappointment and then you see Aya, and you and you got the worry and you think, well, she's the sort of closest we've got to someone who can maybe bring a bit of vengeance. And by the end of that chapter, we get the impression she's dead. Mm-hmm. Well... I think that it's that kicking the kick while yeah. you're down that you think, well, we'll, we'll screw it then. You know? Yeah, it's almost yeah, like yeah. You're, re- you're reading you reading the next chapter. You're reading the I chapter, thinking, well, I'll give it a chance. Yeah, and then you think, oh well, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you um, keep going. That's the
1: thing, isn't it? You just like you yeah. go back as a, as a dog returneth to its vomit. <laughs> we, the fools, return to our folly, and then George Martin's like, and <laughs> I gets hit with an axe. And there's just a moment where if I wasn't reading this on an expensive piece of electronic equipment, I would have thrown it through a fucking window.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, if if you're reading it um, and uh, you're thinking about giving up now, look, I've read the rest of the book and don't give up because there are some really good stuff that still happens yet and there's some really interesting twists still to come. All right. Um, So don't give up. Uh but yeah it is it is tough this, isn't it now? Yeah, and yeah, um yeah. I suppose the good thing is the next chapter for next week, the next chapter we're starting with is about Tyrion. Mm. And I suppose he's our I don't know, is, is he your next best or, or would you say John or Daenerys? Who who Ooh. who would you sort of root for next? Excellent next? question.
1: Um I've definitely felt more affectionate towards Tyrion than towards anyone else. But the problem is that like being invested in his like long term story is being invested in his family, who are nobeds. So, yeah. there's a bit, there's an extent to which I like him as a character, but my, my ideal endgame for Tyrion is he goes off and, you know, runs Carth or something. <laughs> because, you know, like where he is right now, I, I find it difficult to get totally bought into him and in his situation. Whereas the Starks, mm. as a family, you are kind of into. Um, yeah. But it probably would be Tyrion, just because I don't have any earthly clue what the stakes are for Jon. Like, Jon's mm. Like John, is, John seems to be one of those POV characters who are just kind of victims of fate, really. Like they just have mm. stuff happen to them, and like Arya, there's there's just there's a certain point at which, and Sansa the same. You're just like, I'm not invested in you because I have no reason to believe that you're going to do anything sensible or worth sticking around for, you know. Mm. Um, whereas whereas Tyrion's a more interesting character. Daenerys is interesting though, because. Again, it's too interesting not to stick around with a character who's got fucking dragons and she's mm. there's a whole other cultures that she's moving through and I think she makes the world a lot more rich. I don't know, as a character, she seems a little bit a little bit of a blank slate, really. Like the stuff she does, for some reason I just I don't kind of feel it. I don't feel why I, it matters to her. You know?
0: I'd be I sad if she with, died,
1: but sorry, carry on.
0: Yeah, I think the problem with Daenerys is her story, it's almost like her story is another another book and mm, um, she's is, so yeah. far away and so far removed from everything else that's happening yeah. that sometimes you, you see the Daenerys coming up and it's kind of like you've put down this book and picked up another and I think that's part of the reason why she doesn't sometimes cut through and her story doesn't cut through as much because there just isn't enough link at the moment towards what is happening with her mm. and what's going on in, in Westeros. Yeah. So
1: well, that's completely undeniable. But and so I, I think that the fact that that's been true now for three books is almost in a weird sort of roundabout way is almost a reason to persevere with this whole, you know, death of the Starks situation mm. because because it's been very clear since moment one that George Martin probably isn't telling the story the rest of us think we are, and mm. so and he's had this character, that he's given a lot of screen time, page time to, um, in Daenerys who you know we really don't have any idea why it matters we have to presume that at some point it will come to matter Mm. and because of that you kind of have to be like well we're three books in he's doing something over seven books fair enough um i'll persevere with it um i and i will and i think that's a good enough argument for it but it's it's on shaky legs right now
0: Mm. well well look if uh, if you've got any thoughts on the red wedding or anything else about this this part of the book um do send them in to us uh we are shark liver oil hang on a minute yeah shark liver oil podcast at gmail dot com is the email address or you can get us on twitter at shark liver oil or search for us on facebook shark liver oil podcast and um and do let us know because this is uh i think group therapy is the best for this kind of <laughs> for this kind of thing you know, this kind of event you're right share your pain yeah.
1: ladies and gentlemen share your pain
0: yeah and for next time we're back with a chapter about Tyrion which is ba, 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 page 140 and it begins they supped alone as they did so often and that's about Tyrion and we're reading as far as let me just work it out Thump 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 book pages down, blah blah blah. Cutting all this shit out. <laughs> Read as far as page uh two two oh so the la- um which is an- another chapter about Tyrion which begins Tyrion dressed himself in darkness. So it's Tyrion to Tyrion. Read from the next chapter, which is about Tyrion, and read up to the Tyrion chapter, which begins, He dressed himself in darkness, thinks about page 220, and that's where we will cover for next week. For next week. And um, also that brings us into, I think we're going to call that one, Breaker of Chains, and then we're properly into the the next sort of series four then of, of the TV show. That's where we are, if you're thinking of the parallel in the telly. Um, oh, something to mention uh, about that, about the next part. You still there, Dave? I'm still, yeah. Yeah. So, something to m- mention about the, the next chunk of reading. Um, if you are a series watcher, just be a bit careful because there's a big um, action moment and um, also character death again um, that hasn't happened in the series and may well happen later on in the series. So if you don't want to be, if you, if you primarily watch the TV version and you don't want to be, be spoiled, I wouldn't listen to next week's um, until you've watched the whole series. Does that makes sense? Does it make sense?
1: It does make sense.
0: Yeah. Basically, here's another way of explaining it. Something happens in our version of Breaker of Chains, which is the next week's episode, which doesn't happen in the TV version for a while yet. There you go. Are you excited yeah, yeah. now, Dave? I'm, ex- I'm
1: i'm over the moon who you reckon it's going to be oh i don't fucking know give me a,
0: give me a character name is it, is <laughs> who's it, for the chop for is the it next george bar? martin
1: I tell you what, actually, I tell you what. I when I heard before uh, before any of this went down, and obviously there were spoilers around, I knew that there was going to be a big death in in the bit the chunk that we've just done. And I, honest to God, watching the series and reading the book, I was like Joffrey, 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 come on, it's Joffrey, surely he's got to die. And I was like, and so this was just rip. I was like, oh for fuck's sake! (laughs) Like, Like I was hoping that the worst guy would die and the best guy died. And to be honest with you. Given that George has just offed Arya as well, there's a bit of me that's like, who's it going to be next? Is it John? John with his submarine wound and three guys with little wooden sticks to defend him at a castle about to be under siege by horrendous marauding raiders. You know, I yeah. could believe it being John. Um, uh, I don't know. Daenerys. That would be that would be that would be trolling, wouldn't it? He killed off Daenerys. <laughs> Daenerys. <laughs> be like be like sort of so three novels worth of this character not interacting with anybody. <laughs> Dead Because <laughs> <laughs> life sucks then you die. That's the message of a song of ice and fire. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, well me too. And uh, we will discuss next week. But uh until then enjoy uh as much as you can. <laughs> the uh, the ongoing horror show that is a <laughs> so, storm of swords sounds likely, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, and we'll be back next time. Awesome. Bye bye.
1: Later.